You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. What is going on, 12s, and welcome to the first edition of the Seahawks Insider for 2017, and it is week one of the NFL season. It's finally here, and I think it's safe to say that I'm ready for it. I'm Jackie Montgomery here with Jen Mueller, and Jen, I mean, you've got to be ready for this. I am so ready for this. (laughs) There's just something that changes. I love the start of football season when you get to training camp. There is some energy out there from the fans, but it is totally different going into week one, and you can feel it in the locker room, and Paul Richardson and I were talking about that today. He goes, you know, yeah, I know it was preseason. I know we needed to get there. But, man, it just it feels like we haven't been on the field in forever. And there's just a different type of vibe. And you're going to feel it, especially opening at Lambeau Field this year. Just, just all the excitement from the fans and the history. It is going to be a fun, fun weekend. Jen obviously will be on the sideline for this game, sideline reporter for the Seahawks radio network. And Jen, I mean, you know, I asked the guys this and they're all trying to play it, you know, even keel that this isn't a big deal. But I mean, come on, it has to be somewhat of a big test for this team opening the game this season on the road in Lambeau. I mean, it's there's not many road games that you can find much more tougher, more tough than this especially when you look at week one right and and I understand the guys can only look at one game at a time and they can't get overwhelmed by the numbers the stature of Aaron Rodgers or what the fans are going to make Lambeau Field feel like but I think for those of us who get to sit back and watch to a certain degree we know that this very well could be a playoff preview and you don't see that often in week one you also don't see two teams that have that potential with such similar modes of operation on the field. You know, I, I, the Seahawks are going to try to run the ball more than the Packers are, but just the way that the defense is built, the way that this has tended to be a really hard-nosed, hard-fought game, it is going to be fun. And we had an early season game there a couple of years ago that was a Sunday night game that, uh, that, was, uh, that was filled, I guess, the last few times we played there. Filled with some twists and turns, but <laughs> yeah. but this team too, I, I think to understand how last year went, how much adversity they battled through, there is a sense of just wanting a fresh start this year and understanding their window of opportunity and wanting to capture that. It, it's not that they're not appreciative of every game and every championship opportunity as, pre, it, as Pete would preach. But there is something a little different as an undercurrent coming off of last year. Well, let's get into what we have been seeing from the Seattle Seahawks. We are just a few days removed from Pete Carroll and staff finalizing their 53-man roster. Some big surprises in the days leading up to it. Um with the players that they brought in and the players that they got rid of. Um, So let's start off there. Some of the big notes is Sheldon Richardson, a defensive lineman out of New York, coming here to Seattle in as the Seahawks traded away Jermaine Curse. And Doug Baldwin was talking about that Jermaine is, was a leader in this locker room. So not only do you have to make up what you will be missing from him on the field, but also what you'll be missing from him in the locker room setting. And he also mentioned kind of the nuanced part of Jermaine's job. It's not just about 
the stats that he would put up as far as yards and receptions. It's what he was able to do in the blocking game. You know, it, it was what he was able to do in developing rapport with Russell Wilson because there was a trust level there that absolutely yeah. that would come out in really big critical moments. Yes. And it is interesting to hear what the dynamic was in the wide receiver room. Because mm-hmm. you're right. When I walk over to that corner of the locker room, I am far more likely to see Doug holding court or to see Paul Richardson kind of being loud from his spot at the end. I was less likely to see Jermaine as that vocal guy. But as Doug explained today, he was the one that made sure that no wide receiver fell through the crack, that they were all brought into the fold, that they were all made to feel important and understand their role. And and that's going to be missed. And it's going to be an opportunity for somebody else to step up. But, you know, they're going to keep track of Jermaine during the course of the year. I know it. He he made too many big plays here, developed too many relationships here. Well, just like the players are, I'm sure a lot of 12s are sad to see Jermaine go, but let's talk about what the Seahawks acquired. Getting Sheldon Richardson, a guy that has been to the Pro Bowl, and now when you look at the starters on defense as a whole, there's eight guys that have been to a Pro Bowl, and that's not even including guys like Frank Clark, who have, who's coming off of a 10-sack season. So what does his pedigree offer this D-line? Oh, so much. Its size and its consistency. In the years that he played in New York, four seasons, he started 56 of 58 games. And that's a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's durability, and I need that line to be consistent, and I need you to be out there to take some of those – those reps. And when you put him and Jaron Reed next to each other, well, you are taking up a lot of space in the (laughs) middle of that one. And he still has the flexibility to be able to rush if needed and just be kind of one of those versatile guys. I like the versatility. I I like what he's demonstrated so far in the pedigree. And here's a fun little stat for you. The guy can move. We We talked about that in regards to Ataba Rubin, who unfortunately was a veteran cut mm-hmm. when Sheldon was acquired, but he's tied with Refrigerator Perry for the most rushing touchdowns in a season by a D lineman. Wow. Two, which I realize is not very much, but those big guys are not used to having the ball in their hands <laughs> and rumbling to the end zone, right? So, so he's he's got some skill set there, but I think um, I, I think physically he's a specimen, yeah. and you can see that. And when you walk again to that corner of the locker room you can feel how well he fits in. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he spoke with the media, and he, he already had the lingo. It's only day one, and he was already speaking the, you know, Pete Carroll's lingo, so he can see that he's at least willing to make as much of an impact make an effort and as much of an impact as possible here in just a few short days. Well, and I think one of the things that we talked to Pete Carroll about yesterday was just the fact that when you've got new guys in, they all talk about the vibe. And we talked about it during training camp. Yeah. They all talk about the vibe. They all talk about how willing the team is to help them out. And I thought it was really interesting Pete's response to the question yesterday about is this reinforcing the idea that you've got it right here in Seattle. It's fun to watch guys come into our into our building and uh, to see how they respond and to see how if, if it's obvious to them that something's going on here. Then uh, and you guys will have more fun to ask ask those guys, ask the new guys, you know, what what their opinion is. But 
it, it seems to happen regularly, and I know it's a big deal to us for our players to open their arms to embrace the guys that come in because they're they're on our team and we're counting on them from the the word go. And, and we need to make sure and accelerate that and enhance that uh, that as soon as we can. And, and so our guys know they want to win. So the the best thing they can do is help these new guys you know fit in and feel comfortable and all that and teach and and, and show them the way. And so uh, that's specifically part of the message on Monday to our guys with the new guys coming in that the responsibility falls on the shoulders of the older players that have been around here to make sure that this transition is as smooth as possible and as effective as possible. Pete Carroll obviously and this team just very welcoming the players that come here really embrace the culture that Seattle has to offer. Well, let's um, jump back to a few more people who have gone and come here to Seattle. Cassius, sticking with that D-line, Cassius Marsh, another guy who was traded away in the, uh, as they were finalizing things for the Seahawks. And the players seem so excited to, what he, to see what he could offer this team. And will he be a big piece missing just given the rotation that they're looking for on the line? You know, I think – his presence is going to be missed more on special yeah. teams. He created such unique mismatches for anybody trying to cover him on special teams. That's not to say that he didn't make a significant jump in his ability to play just straight up defense on the defensive line. But I, I think that the Seahawks felt comfortable in parting ways with him because of the other pieces that they brought in to kind of fill the void on special teams. And they understand what Cassius has been. I think he is going to be able to play a large role um, for New England going forward. Um, yeah, his personality is going to be missed. <laughs> yeah. And his motor, man, yeah. he, he could he could go in there and, and get energized and make some stops. But I think special teams is probably where you're going to kind of be looking to make sure that that role was filled first. And one of those guys that they did bring in, DJ Alexander, who's been a special team standout brought in from Kansas City, correct, um, to fill that role. But also, obviously, with Green Bay coming up, we would be remiss to not talk about Eddie Lacy, obviously, um, who is on our 53-man roster. And just what he can bring to that running back group, um, that was running back and wide receivers, probably two of the highly contested uh, positional groups in the preseason and what can he bring to that running back core he is just pound it and run people over and he didn't get a whole lot of snaps in the preseason and they wanted to be careful with him and when he spoke with us today he noted that he he was a little timid the first couple times out because he didn't know how it was going to respond but after he got hit a couple of times and he saw that he was a hundred percent he felt comfortable I think fans probably wonder what they got in Eddie Lacy just because they haven't been able to see him the few plays that I remember from that week three pre season game I just looked up and went man I think he flattened five guys on the way to get those six extra <laughs> yards after contact right so he is going to be the guy that is he's a big dude yeah right and he is powerful and he's going to be your power back and right now he's going to get an opportunity with the status of Thomas Rawls kind of questionable for Sunday's game and Thomas has been battling some injuries that um, he'll get a chance to help the Seahawks reestablish their run game and I think that that's what you've seen them do. The Seahawks get back to the identity that we saw in 2013, strengthening the defense, particularly the defensive line, so that you've got a deeper rotation, making sure that you're stocked up at running back because it's not just Eddie Lacy, but you've also got Chris Carson and Thomas Rawls, and you kept J.D. McKissick, who yeah. you were working at running back, and so um, and C.J. Proceis. Mm-hmm. 
that is a lot of names in it that is. running back room. It is. But also, I mean, J.D. McKissick, a guy, you know, as we transition into kind of wide receivers, um, J.D. McKissick, a guy that, you know, we've seen him uh, – at running back. We've seen him on special teams and we saw him catching balls as a receiver and something that obviously CJ Procise can do too. One of the reasons why they drafted him was because of the versatility that they offer. Yeah. And I would say Chris Carson's also yeah. in that group. Just kind of the heads up play. They like the guys who can do that. JD McKissick can also play special teams and can be a returner if Tyler Lockett is not quite ready to retake that role when he comes back this week against Green Bay or if anything were to happen they feel comfortable with McKissick back there and um, you've got to play heads up in the system because when Russell Wilson is healthy he is going to move and he is going to move the pocket and he's going to be looking downfield and when that play breaks down you can't stand there waiting for the handoff because that ain't going to happen <laughs> and so to have these guys who are not only aware enough of what's going on but have the ability um, and the comfort level of Russell Wilson I think that that's huge. I found it interesting that Chris Carson, and we knew that he did not have a fumble when he was at Oklahoma State, and we knew why. He had some issues in junior college, so his coach would bench him. I found it interesting. We had a chance to talk to him before the final preseason game. He said, well, my arms are really long. You might not be able to tell it, but one of the reasons that I had a hard time holding the football was my arms are long and so when I would carry the ball it's too low and defenders would smack it out of my hands interesting the same thing that could make it challenging for a running back to hold it high and tight could also make him really good at getting just enough separation to catch the ball yeah and he's kind of my pick to watch really all season long to see what his total yards are compared to everybody else's total yards at the end of the year yeah, no, I I mean, it was clear that this coaching staff was a really excited about what he can provide this team. So definitely a guy to keep your eye on. And um, going back to Thomas Rawls, and you mentioned Tyler Lockett, I think it's important to note that they both practice in full on Wednesday. So we'll see. So that's promising, at least, to see what their status can be for Sunday's game against Green Bay. So let's transition over to the defense. We already touched on the defensive line and what we could be seeing with Sheldon Richardson added into those packages. But let's look at the secondary. We haven't, I mean, everyone just kind of writes off the secondary just because it's a legion of boom. There's not much to talk about because they are so dominant. But when it comes to playing in Green Bay, that's one area where they haven't been at full strength. Last year, they were missing Earl Thomas. The year before that, they were missing Cam Chancellor. So now that they're going into Green Bay fully healthy, um, obviously Shaquille Griffin, um, starting opposite of Richard Sherman, um, is one to look at. But what is this defense capable, capable of, the secondary, against such a prolific pass? as Aaron Rodgers. I think that that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. And when you mentioned Shaq Griffin, technically he's listed behind Jeremy Lane, but I think your point is well taken. When you've got Aaron Rodgers, I would expect the Seahawks to start in nickel, and I would yeah. expect them to play nickel most of the game. And when that happens, you're going to see Jeremy Lane move inside to cover that slot receiver, and you're going to see Shaq on the outside. That means that Shaq is going to get tested yeah. because very few quarterbacks want to throw at – uh, Richard Sherman and Shaq said they've been preparing him in practice for that. The quarterbacks will continue to throw at him even as he gets tired in practice just to make sure that he's ready. And I can sing his praises all I want to, and it doesn't sound nearly the same as when it's coming from the head coach or one of his teammates. 
there just has not been anything but positives. He's just been solid as a rock throughout. So uh, I think that the game, uh, the Minnesota game, I think when they got after him a little bit, the ball went his way a number of times. I think it's maybe six or eight balls thrown at him in a half. Um, was a really great indication to, to watch him. I was really tuned into him, how he was handling it, play to play, and, and uh, uh, sequence to sequence, coming off the sidelines. And he was great. He was great. So, you know, that that's that's important. And, and he was able to answer the call in the game when they were coming after him, if you remember. He knocked a couple balls down down the field and did some good, really good things in the midst of, of the, the focus that they were putting on him. And that's that was a great illustration. I think probably that was the, kind of the culmination of the, making that evaluation. Okay, he's, he's ready to handle it here. And uh, that's all he could have shown us. And he did a good job of that. Well, it will be interesting to see how this secondary and how Shaq Griffin holds up against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Looking ahead to Green Bay, I mean, they had, when you look at their season from last year, obviously such a slow start, but they finished so strong. And you cannot, you know, you can't ignore what Aaron Rodgers is capable of with the ball. So what are you anticipating in this first week matchup? Oh, that is so hard because, I, you know, anytime Aaron Rodgers is involved, I kind of expect a shootout, right? I expect, <laughs> I expect that it doesn't matter how the game starts, that he is going to be flinging the ball all over the field in the second half. I am curious to see how the Packers' defense kind of holds up and, and what that looks like. This is a very veteran team, and by veteran, I don't just mean years of experience. I mean age-wise. The Packers have eight position players that are 30 years wow. old or older. The Seahawks have just four. And there's something to be said for, well, you got to have that experience and that knowledge base to pull from. But I also wonder just how we're going to see that present itself on the field. At this point in the year, defense. Defenses are usually ahead of offenses just because it takes a little bit longer to build that chemistry. So I would say this is going to be a pretty good opportunity for this defensive line that's a little bit revamped and re-energized to come out and set the tone early. And then we'll see, you know, Russell Wilson back at full strength, which is going to be fun. And it's something that we haven't seen since week one of the regular season last year. So I would expect a really good matchup. I would expect each team to score at least three touchdowns. And (laughs) I would expect teams and fans to really get a sense of what the playoff picture and playoff matchup could look like between these teams. It's crazy to think, I mean, you touched on it earlier, that essentially home field advantage in the NFC could be decided this week. <laughs> and so something to pay attention to, for sure. It is. And that's not a home field, by the way, that you want to go play at. For yeah. as hard as the 12s Especially work, that time of year. Exactly. Well, <laughs> yes, exactly. Somebody will be freezing her little patootie off on the <laughs> sidelines. However, you know, for as much as the, the 12s do here in Seattle to make CenturyLink an uncomfortable environment... Packers fans rooted in such history and tradition, they've got pretty good um, game day presence there as well. And Doug Baldwin said today, it's hard for an opposing team to go in there and feel any vibe or feel any juice because their fans will take it right out of the visiting team from the get-go. And Pete Carroll also, he echoed those same sentiments, as did Eddie Lacy today. Kind of historic that it's pretty darn hard to play there. You know, they're great there, and, and uh, uh, they fit very well with their crowd. Uh, just everything about it uh, has, you know, makes it difficult. It's as hard as it gets in any sport to play, you know, in that, that venue. So um, it's just kind of built into the fabric of the whole thing, the whole place. 
All right. Well, Green Bay, the team's leaving, hitting the road on Friday. They'll head out there after a brief walkthrough and get ready for week one of the regular season. And I'm excited. You're excited, Jen. And I'm sure a lot of the 12s out there are excited as well just to get this NFL season underway. Any parting thoughts before we let you go? No, I think it's just going to be fun. I want to hear all the 12s there. I want to see how well the 12s travel to this game and just feel the chills. Right before opening kickoff. It happens every year, and uh, it's going to be a fun one. Well, I'm excited. I'm jealous of you because (laughs) Lambeau Field is on my bucket list. And so one day, one day I will make it out there. And I'm excited that you're going in September. And you can... The temperature hopefully will be mild for you. All right. Well, that is going to do it for week one of the Seahawks Insiders podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And next week, John Boyle should be back with you as well. Jen Mueller. Have a good one. 